Well, today we are wrapping up a series called uh, Encounter Jesus, and this has been a mini-series of a, of a much bigger series that we started back in January, and this series was going to carry us all the way uh, through Easter. And over the past few months, we've been looking at the life and teachings of Jesus, and all throughout the Gospels, Jesus would often, uh, he'd often use something physical to teach us about something spiritual. If you remember when Jesus uh, was speaking with Nicodemus, he spoke about physical birth so that he could teach about spiritual birth and about how to be born again. When Jesus was talking uh, with the woman at the well, he used physical water and physical thirst to teach her about the living water that could quench all of her thirst. In John chapter 15, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he uses a physical vine uh, to show them how important it is to remain connected to the Father. And, and today, uh, last week, we saw Jesus, we saw him stand before 15 to 20,000 people who were hungry, and he taught them about their spiritual hunger by using their physical hunger and the way that he multiplied the loaves and the bread and the fish. And today we're going to see how Jesus uses physical blindness to teach us about spiritual blindness. Now, throughout my life, I've, I've been blessed to have pretty good eyesight. I've never had to wear glasses or contacts growing up, but I'm in my mid-40s now, and so what I've noticed over just the last couple of years is that things that are small print could be a price tag, could be a label, uh, maybe the ingredients. I have trouble reading some of that now. I'm, not, I'm kind of not at glasses, but I'm, I'm getting there, and so my eyesight has started to kind of uh, have that little slight impact on me. I've even, if you, let me know if you've done this hack, I've taken a picture of something before and then zoomed in. Okay, I'm not the only one who's discovered that. Okay, so that's, sometimes I want to know if I'm paying $19.99 or $49.99. And so that little hack has come in uh, very handy. Now, my, like I said, my eyesight's been pretty good throughout my life. But there's also been times in my life where I've been unable to see, even though my eyes have been functioning just fine. And it's not so much that my eyes were bad, it was more the surrounding that I was in. You know, the surrounding that I came in became quite dark. And as you get to know me, you'll learn that, uh, you'll quickly learn that one of my favorite things to do is to go hiking. And I love, I love being outdoors, love being in nature and God's creation. Uh, this is uh, in southern Utah at Zion National Park, and I've gone to this park many times. And I say I like hiking. But hiking, it's really just to get me to what I really want to do. And so we start out hiking, could be a long hike. And the way that my wife refers to it is she calls it more hanging off of cliffs. And so we, we will take our, our ropes and our belay devices and stuff, and we'll go to these slot canyons, which can be anywhere from 8 to 12 miles long. And throughout the course of the day, you'll come across many challenges, uh, some steep descents of like two to 300 feet where you need ropes and harnesses and belay devices. And then there's even times where you're going to be going into a water, and these water, it's in these tiny little trenches where the sun never gets, so the water is only like 56 degrees, sometimes colder, and it can be 95 degrees in the middle of August, but we, it can be ice cold, or feels ice cold in the, in the water, so we'll take wetsuits with us down into these canyons, and so this is a sport called canyoneering that I have just uh, really loved over the past 10 or 12 years, and I've been doing that a lot. And now, one of the things that's unique about this sport is you can't just pull up with your car to a trailhead 
and then look at a little guide and see how to get to the end. It actually takes several hours, sometimes days or weeks, studying multiple different guidebooks on how to navigate through uh, this area. There's no signage along the way that says, you know, walk three quarters of a mile, turn left, and there's no sign. You're just, it'll be, the guidebooks that we read, it'll say like, off in the distance, you'll see a 300-foot uh, pine tree. Look left and there'll be a mesa that looks like a checkerboard. And so you kind of study in advance and prepare for these. And so my friends and I, when we're preparing for these trips, we will consult several different guidebooks, and here's why. Sometimes we'll be reading a guidebook, and it'll say on this certain uh, canyon that you're about to do, it's going to take 8 to 10 hours. But then another guidebook will say, be prepared for 10 to 14 hours. And sometimes it'll say that the, you know, on Rappel 8, it's going to be 200 feet. And we compare that to another guidebook, which says it's going to be 220 feet. And so what we've learned over the years is to always go with the longer one. That way we never run out of daylight and we never run out of rope. So that's what we do when we're kind of getting ready for these uh, canyons is we always go with the longer uh, estimate. Now, as much planning as we do and as much experience as we have going into this, it seems like almost every time we set out to do one of these adventures, even if it says it's going to be an eight or 10 hour day, somehow we always come back one to two hours after dark. And let me tell you, when the sun goes down in these canyon walls, it doesn't get like slightly dark. Now, it gets pitch black. I mean, you can't even see your hand two feet in front of your face. And so imagine being, um, I wish my wife wasn't in here for this one, but when you're standing at the top of a cliff and you're trying to hook in your belay device and the rope and you can't see, it can be extremely difficult. And so what we do is I encourage everybody to take one of these little devices. Little thing you can get for $10 at Walmart. And so when the sun goes down and all of a sudden you have to do something technical or your feet need to see where to go, this thing can be a huge lifesaver. So we always make sure we have these and the batteries are fresh uh, when we go on these uh, canyoneering adventures. And, and so in the daylight, here's just a, an example. In the daylight, a lot of times these, these trails end with like a 100-yard scramble going over boulders and across rivers. It could take you 15 to 20 minutes to go that distance. But try doing that pitch dark. It could literally take hours to do if you didn't have a light. Now, in Psalm 119, I love this verse. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And so, so today, we're going to be talking about spiritual blindness. And to begin with, I want to give you the definition for blindness. There's a couple definitions. The first one I want to look at here, it means sightless, the state or condition of being unable to see. And for many of us in this room, we have not been affected by that, or we've had things in our lives that could aid us in that. You know, it could be some prescription glasses, but we haven't had to really struggle with not being able to see physically. Now, however, for some of you, maybe the person you're sitting next to, if they were, if they were to lose their glasses today, you might not be so eager to drive with them on the way home from church. Is that correct, right? They need those glasses in order to get you home safely. Now, a second definition for blindness is a lack of perception awareness or judgment, also known as ignorance. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I imagine if, if I was to ask all of you, have you ever at some point in, in your life had a moment where you had a lack of perception, a lack of awareness or judgment? I'm sure many hands would go up across the room. And the only hands that wouldn't go up would be those who are truly ignorant and think that they don't have any blind spots in their life. Now, I want to show you what I mean here. Um, this video came out a little over 20 years ago, and uh, it became popular. It was one of the most, uh, most watched videos on YouTube, 
And so I want to play this. Now, some of you may have already seen this, but I want to give you some instructions on this video. You're actually going to have some work here. There's going to be a short countdown, three-second countdown, and then all you need to do is count how many times the player's wearing a white shirt pass the basketball. That's it. Just count how many times the people wearing a white shirt pass the basketball. You guys ready? All right, here we go. You can go ahead and roll that. All right, so how many passes did you count? 13, 12, 15. Okay, the correct answer is 15, 15 times. Now, did anybody else notice something in the video? Did anybody see a gorilla in the middle of the video? We got a few hands go up. Did anybody not see the gorilla? Okay, okay. So some of you might think that, that I'm lying to you right now. So I'm going to have the tech booth go ahead and rewind that. Let's play that back so you can see the, the gorilla that appears in the middle of this video. You probably saw him right there on the playback. All right, so here comes the gorilla. He's going to beat on his chest just like any normal gorilla would do. And then he's going to exit, exit the frame there. All right, so... Research shows, don't feel bad if you did not see the gorilla, because research shows that only about 50% of people uh, see the gorilla, and the other 50% don't see the gorilla the first time. So the second time, obviously, everybody saw the, the gorilla. But I want to show you this illustration to, to point out that even if our physical eyesight is functioning properly, we can still appear to be blind to certain things that are right in front of us. And, and think about it, if, if that can happen with our physical eyesight, then how much more can that happen with our spiritual eyesight? We're going to look at a story today where a man who had been born blind from birth, he has an encounter with Jesus. But as you'll see throughout the story, that he's not the only blind man in this story. Because you see, at times in our lives, we've all been blinded by something. We can be blinded by our ignorance. We can be blinded by our past. We can be blinded by our pride. And we can be blinded by our fears. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, you can go ahead and make your way to John chapter 8. We're going to be reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles at the back of each seating section. Feel free to raise your hand or grab one now. We'll get one to you. Uh, and if you don't have one, take one on your way out. we got a, a couple hands over here that could, that could use the Bible. And so last week, we were in John chapter 6, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, it's one thing to make an outrageous claim like that. I am the bread of life. And what do we do when someone makes an outrageous claim? We say, prove it, right? You can't just go around saying crazy stuff. We say, prove it. And so Jesus doesn't just make that claim. He proves it. As we saw last week, Jesus fed between 15 and 20,000 people. He fed all of them by just using five barley loaves and two fish. And so we're going to see here again in John chapter 8, Jesus is going to make another bold claim. In John 8, beginning in verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And so what are the Pharisees going to say? They're, they're going to say, prove it. In verse 13, the Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. In verse 17, Jesus replies, your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. So Jesus not only claims to be the light of the world in this verse, but he also claims that he was sent by the Father. 
Uh, now, why was Jesus sent? He tells us in John 9, 39, says, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And in John 12, 46, it says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. So Jesus makes this bold claim that he is the light of the world, that he's come as a light to shine in this dark world, and that those who put their trust in him will never have to walk in darkness. So let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. We're going to see Jesus back up this claim by doing the impossible and by performing a miracle that nobody had seen before. In John 9, verse 1, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or because of his parents' sins? Now, you see, in those days, there was a universal opinion among the Jews that if, that if someone had a, a baby who was born with a birth defect, that someone must have sinned, and it must have been the, the parents' sin. In these two verses, it becomes clear that the disciples were blinded by their ignorance. See, they're having trouble understanding what caused this man's blindness. And I think that many of us still ask those questions today. We say, why is there suffering in the world? Or maybe you've heard it said this way, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, why did over 50,000 people have to die last month in the earthquakes that devastated Turkey and Syria? Why are some babies born with birth defects? You know, or in your own life, think about your situations and you say, God, why did this and fill in the blank have to happen to me? So the disciples, they're passing by this man who's clearly in need but rather than focusing on his need, they focus on the theological question of why the man was born blind. Now, have you ever failed to help someone in need because you were more preoccupied with how they got there? Maybe it's based on the way they were dressed. Maybe based on the way they smelled. Maybe based on by what part of town they were in. Have you ever failed to help someone in need because you were too concerned about how they got there? You know, church, we would do better in this world if we focused less on trying to solve the theological issues and put more attention and focus on serving the needs of the people around us. So verse three, Jesus responds. He says, it is not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Have you ever thought about that in your own life, that your own struggles, that your, your own uh, difficulties, your trials, that they might be there. They might be opportunities so that God can work through you. The power of God could be displayed through the struggles, through the trials that you're facing right now. I, I promise you that more people will come to Christ, not because you live a perfect and holy life and nothing bad has ever happened to you, but more people will come to, come to Christ when they see the power of God displayed through your weakness, through the trials, through seeing how you've overcome the difficulties and, and, and tough times in your life, that would be much more of a testimony to the power of God. And so this man's blindness, it gave Jesus the opportunity to demonstrate the power of God. And so I want to challenge you, if you're willing to, to turn those over to God, give him your difficulties, give him the things you struggle with and say, God, how can you be glorified through this? 
I believe that God will use those trials. He will use those struggles. He will use your sufferings to be a witness to the world around you. And so the disciples, they were blind to this man's potential. All they could see was what was right in front of them, the obvious, a blind, poor beggar who had been blind from birth. That's all they could see. The disciples were blind, but in so many ways, so are we. See, we can be blind to the potential all around us because we're stuck on the reality of what's in front of us. When you're ignorant, you fail to see the entire picture. And so sometimes we're blinded just like the disciples by our ignorance. But we can also be blinded by our past experiences. Let's pick up the story in verse five. Here Jesus once again makes the claim, I am the light of the world. And then he's gonna go to work. He doesn't just claim to be the light of the world, but he's gonna prove it through his actions. So Jesus this is kind of gross, but he spits on the ground and then he, he bends down and he takes that spit and saliva and mixes it with the mud. He makes a little muddy paste, forms it together, and then he takes it and he puts it on the, rubs it on the man's eyes. Can you imagine being in the crowd and observing that? I mean, does, this, does that happen to you when you've gone and visited the doctor? Do they ever spit on something and then rub it on your body? But this is what's happening in this moment. Jesus, he makes this little paste and he rubs it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him, he gives him a few simple instructions. He says, go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed. And he came back seeing. This is such a remarkable encounter with Jesus. We don't know how old this man was. Let's just say he's in his 30s or 40s. He had lived his entire life without the ability to see. And now he has one encounter with Jesus who puts spit and mud on his eyes, but now he can see and he's healed. It's, a, it's an incredible encounter. And it says later in the chapter that this is a miracle that nobody had ever seen. Nobody had ever heard of somebody opening the eyes of a man born blind. I can't even begin to imagine how difficult life must have been for this man to be born blind, how he would have had to learn everything throughout his life with, with, with very little help, I assure you, there were probably not organizations and institutions. There was no Braille. There was things that he did not have access to that blind people have now. He had probably had very little help. How do you begin to explain a sunset to someone who's never even seen color before? Life must have been so incredibly difficult, and now in a moment, he's able to see the blinders have come off. So I can only imagine what his reaction would have been like that day. I, I didn't uh, get the video for this, but while I was preparing for this message, I came across a guy by the name of Mr. Beast. Is anybody f familiar with him? Well, he has spent uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars in helping people uh, be able to see. And there's videos all over YouTube about how these people, for the first time in their life, they can see. And I love just watching their reactions. But I, I could have showed that for like 20 minutes this morning. It was just, it's incredible. I can only imagine what would have happened that day when all of a sudden this guy can see. Now he's running around saying, I can see, I can see, I can see. It says here in verse 8 that his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, that's not him. He, he just looks like him. And this might be the case for some of you in this room today or for some of you watching online. Maybe your life looks so drastically different today than it did from your high school or your college years that if your high school or college buddies saw you today, they'd say, no, that's not the same person. 
There is no way that that person serving in that church, on that worship team, serving in the tech, serving in the children's, leading a community group, there is no way that's the same person I used to get in trouble with back in high school. Is that true for anyone in this room today? Would people have a tough time believing that you're the same person? See, they're so focused on the past of what they saw and what they knew. They had trouble understanding and seeing that something miraculous had happened. And so often people become blinded by the past. It can be difficult for people to see something that's always looked one way to now appear to be something completely different. It says his neighbors and those who knew him as a blind beggar, they couldn't believe their eyes. They were stuck in the past. They were blinded by the past, and they failed to see the evidence that was right in front of them, the evidence of God's transforming love. They were blind. In so many ways, so are we. You see, we can be blind to the evidence right in front of us because we're stuck on the reality of what is behind us. So this man who was born blind, he continues to to tell everyone. He tries to reassure them that that is me. I am that same beggar who used to sit there and beg. But since they're blinded by the past, they don't know what to do. So verse 13, it says, they take the man and they take him to the religious authorities, those who are supposed to understand these kinds of mysteries. Well, if you know anything about the Pharisees, you can guess what's coming. They proved to be just as blind as the disciples, just as blind as those who observed this miracle. You see, the Pharisees, they were blinded by their pride. They believed that their way was right and that their understanding of Scripture was the only way. In verse 15, it says, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. That's a pretty straightforward response. But things are never that straightforward when it comes to religious, religious authorities. They question him over and over. Tell us what he did. How did he do it? Wait, he did what? He put mud on your eyes and now you can see. And they continue to question him. But nothing that he said could fit into their preconceived notions of what they thought they knew. But then in verse 16, something comes out. It says, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, he is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. This miracle that Jesus performed just happened to be performed on the Sabbath. Whoops. You weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, were you? That work that Jesus did would have included picking up some mud, making a little paste. They would have classified that as work. They tried to seize Jesus on a technicality. This man who worked, there's no way that he could be from God and do this miracle because he made mud on the Sabbath. They were so fixated on what they thought they knew. So they seized him on the technicality. And this is not the first time that the Pharisees had tried to accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 2, it says that, that one Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through the grain fields. His disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus instructed them that the way that they viewed Sabbath was all wrong. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was not made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. It was made for you. You weren't made for the Sabbath. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had it all backwards. They'd become slaves 
to the Sabbath, even to the point that they would refuse to do good because they thought the good they were going to do would be considered work. Because of their self-righteousness, their pride, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were unable to see who Jesus really was, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. In verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then, then it says that the Pharisees, they questioned They questioned the man again who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. But no matter how much they questioned him, the Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. The Pharisees were blinded by their pride. They refused to accept the miracle that Jesus had performed right before their very eyes. You see, they couldn't see beyond black and white, right and wrong, the rules and regulations of the law. They were blind to the fact that God's grace and forgiveness and mercy are unrelenting and unrefined. God's love and goodness has no borders. But the Pharisees, they became so focused on observing the Sabbath that they became blind to doing good to those around them. Have you ever become so fixated on one thing that you then became blind to other things going on around you. So I want to give you guys another shot at that video that I played earlier. This one was made just a couple years later, so it's a little bit cleaner quality of video. But the same rules apply. Simply count the number of times that the players in white pass the basketball. Let's go ahead and play that. All right, how many did you count? I heard 15 and 16. I heard, yet 16 is the correct answer. Good job. Now, who saw the gorilla that time? Everyone saw the gorilla that time, right? Because you were fixated on the gorilla. But did anyone notice that the color of the curtain was changing behind you? Did anyone notice that one of the players on the black team actually left the game altogether? You don't believe me? Let's, let's go ahead and let's run that back one more time. All right. I'm glad you all saw the gorilla. All right, so here comes, look, we got a red curtain. Here comes the gorilla. Someone from the black team's already exited. And they go, it changed from a gold to a red. And so, see, when you're, when you're focused on a gorilla, sometimes you're going to miss other things. And I think the Sabbath had become a gorilla to the Pharisees. They were so focused on the Sabbath that they missed seeing Jesus as the Messiah. They missed seeing him as the Son of God. Jesus is walking around from from city to city throughout all of Galilee. He's healing people. He's feeding tens of thousands, but they're missing it because they're focused. Well, he picked some mud up and made a muddy paste. He can't be from God. They completely missed it because they were focused on a gorilla of the Sabbath. And I think sometimes in our lives, We focus on certain gorillas, and we miss things all around us as well. You see, when the ways of God don't conform to our finite thinking, to our our pride, what we think we know, it can cause us to become blind. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we can be blinded by our ignorance. We can be blinded by the past. We can be blinded by our pride. 
and we can be blinded by fear. The Pharisees, they refused to believe the man's testimony. So they call in his parents and they ask them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how is it that he can now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. Now you'd think if there was anybody who would be willing to run to this man's defense, it would have been his parents. His parents would have, been, would have been the ones who were with him throughout his journey as a childhood, who would have helped him navigate into those teenage and young adult years without the ability to see anything around him. You would think his parents would have been the ones who would have said, yeah, he can see, and you need to start putting your faith in the man who healed him, right? Isn't that what you would think you would do if you were a parent in that situation? But instead, his parents are afraid, and they say, you know what? We don't, we don't really want to make a statement. Why don't you go talk to him? He can testify for himself. John says his parents were afraid. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. See, the Jewish leaders, they had announced that anyone saying who, that if Jesus was the Messiah, that they would be expelled from the synagogue. And have you ever consciously chosen to remain in your blindness because you were fearful of the outcome? This man's parents were blind because of their fear. Well, the same thing happens to us today. We know the truth, but we're, we're afraid if we align with the truth, we're not gonna blend in with society. Because you see, when the truth of the gospel contradicts what society wants to accept as truth, then out of fear, we often choose blindness we will often make that conscious choice and choose blindness in order to blend in with our culture. So they brought the man in again and they asked him to confess that Jesus is a sinner and that he healed him because he healed him on the Sabbath. Although his parents might have been afraid, this man, he was no longer afraid. The blinders for the first time in his life had come off and he could see because Jesus, the light of the world, this man born blind had one encounter with Jesus and now he could see. And so when they come back and say, give us your testimony, tell us that that man is a sinner. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. And so are you tired of fumbling in the dark? Are you tired of, of looking and searching for the truth? If there's anyone out here today, whether in person or online, and, and maybe you're not, you wouldn't identify as a Christ follower, but you're curious, you're, you're just tired of searching and fumbling and not having the answers. Maybe it's time the blinders come off. I don't know what's blinding you, whether it's your past, whether it's your fear, ignorance, whatever it may be. But if you're tired of searching, it's time to turn the light on. Come to the source of light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so how do you do that? I want to give you just a few steps on how you can encounter sight. Number one, it starts with obedience. It starts with obedience. In verse 7, Jesus, he told the blind man, he said, go, go. 
Go to the pool and wash. You notice this man didn't say, well, see, that's the problem, Jesus. It's hard for me to go anywhere because I can't see where I'm going. It doesn't say that he, he questioned Jesus at all. He just went. And so I don't know what, what God is asking you to do, how he's asking you to obey today. Where is God calling you to go? Is God asking you to go somewhere physically? Is he asking you to go somewhere spiritually? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to leave the life you once knew and step into the life that God has for you? Where is God calling you to go? Where is God calling you to get up and take action? Number two, Jesus tells the blind man, he tells him to wash. Tells him to repent, wash. He says, go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Wash the mud, wash the filth, wash the dirt off your eyes. Remember, Jesus, he always uses something physical to teach us something spiritual. And so I want to ask you today, what in your life do you need to wash out of your life? What do you need to repent from? You know, maybe you're comfortable coming to church on a Sunday. Maybe you're, you're, you love serving. Maybe you love being around Christian people, but you're holding on to some sin in your life and you really don't want to follow Christ completely because you know that means you have to give up that part of your life that you like, that, that area of sin that you enjoy. And you're like, well, I kind of want to be a Christian like 70% of the way, but there's this third of my life I just want to hold on to. Are there areas in your life where Jesus is saying, go and wash, wash the filth, wash the dirt off your eyes so you can see clearly? See, if you want to live the life that God has for you, you need to repent from your sins. When Jesus performed many of these miracles throughout the Gospels, he doesn't just go around and heal people and leave. He often tells them to go and repent and to sin no more. What do you need to wash out of your life? See, for many of us today, just like the blind man, we would say, I want to be healed. I don't want to continue living in darkness. But man, you just don't know how hard it would be for me to give up that area of my life. I just don't want to give up that sin area. I want to hold on to that. And we try to justify it. We try to hold on to certain things that we know do not belong in our lives. In 1 John 1, 5 to 7, it says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we repent, the blinders come off and we can walk in the light as he is in the light. And number three, follow. Follow the light. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. What Jesus is saying here, if you're searching for truth, if you're searching for meaning, if you are searching for purpose in this life, you will only find that through Jesus Christ. If you're searching for truth any other way, outside of Jesus, you're just fumbling around in the dark. You're spiritually blind. You know, at Epic, we want to help you guys 
walk in the light. We want to help you follow the light. And one of the ways that we believe is the best way to do that here at Epic is by not doing it alone. One of the easiest ways to stay in the light is to surround yourself with other people who are actively trying to stay in the light. And so we have community groups here at Epic that are designed to help you follow the light. Uh, it's great that we gather here on a Sunday morning, but, it, but community groups, many community groups meet every single every single week, some meet every other week, but we have community groups for men, for women, for young adults, for couples. I encourage you, if you are not in a community group, get into a community group and surround yourselves with people who are dedicated to studying God's word, praying for each other, because it's in those group environments where you can open up and say, oh, man, you know what, what Jake was saying on Sunday? There's something I need to repent there, there's some sin I've been holding on to, and I don't know how to get rid of it. Can you show me? And you'll have people who will come around you and be able to pray with you and show you from Scripture the steps you need to take, and that's done through community. You've probably heard us announce that the, the past couple weeks, we've been announcing signups for community groups. Today's the last day we're taking signups. And so if you've been thinking about it, or maybe you're just thinking about it now for the first time, on your way out today, just stop by the group center Put your name down. Let us know what days you're available and we will get you connected to a group. You know, we've had nearly 70 people sign up for groups over, over the past three weeks. That, that's awesome. But guess what that created? <laughs> that also created a need where we need a few more group leaders, especially in these two areas for our women and for our young adults. Maybe you feel like you're in that season of life where God is asking you and he's, your go today is to go and start a community group for women, for young adults, could even be for couples or men. But right now, the biggest need that we have is for our women's groups and our young adults groups. Stop by the table today, talk with me, talk with Michelle. My wife, Julie, is gonna be out there. Uh, just talk with us and let us know. Say, hey, God's, I think God's calling me to be a group leader. And we, we have a short application process that we can walk you through, and we would love to help you. You don't have to be an expert. Moses wasn't an expert when he led the people out of Israel, but he was willing. Sometimes you just need to be willing. But make sure you stop by the group center. Get connected. Be around people so you can follow the light. You know, C.S. Lewis was one of the most influential thinkers and writers in his day. Did you know he was an atheist in his early 20s? He was living in spiritual darkness. But once he discovered the truth about Jesus, the blinders came off, and he was able to see everything in a new light. And there's a famous quote that I want to end with here by C.S. Lewis. It says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. My prayer for you today is that you will have an encounter with Jesus and that you may encounter sight. Obey, repent, and follow the light. I would love for each and every one of you who are here today in this, in this service, for those who are watching online, I would love for each and every one of us to be able to echo the words of the man born blind and say, I was blind, but now I can see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to leave heaven to come here, God, and to help us remove the blinders from our lives so we could experience you, encounter you, the light of the world. Father, I, I want to pray for 
each and every person in here today, Lord, for those who, who maybe don't know you, and for those who are, are curious about you, Lord, and want to know more about you, God, I pray, Lord, that, that today, Lord, you will continue to stir in them, Lord, that they should seek after you. God, I pray, Lord, that you will remove the blinders, Lord, from their past, from their fears, from their pride, from their ignorance, God, and they will look to you. God, I pray for anyone in here who, who maybe is a Christ follower, but they're having trouble staying in the light. God, I pray, Lord, that you will, will, will direct them to the right community group for them, Father, so they can surround themselves with people who have that similar passion and purpose, God, to follow the light. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God, for loving us and for wanting to save us from spiritual blindness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.